You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Okay, let's get going. As you know, it's busy today. <laughs> um, so today the text that we have, we're going to talk about authority and rebellion. And let me set the groundwork on this one. And I think, I think that human beings, we, we are naturally born rebellious. We, we don't like authority, right? And as you grow up, and you see that in children, children as grow and they get, you know, they get, start having their own thoughts own ways and they are rebellious they don't want to listen to so i think that we because we inherit sin and however that works we are rebellious one of the questions that i have to answer when some of you guys apply for like summer staff and when you get like a job reference and i get to have to like fill out your college or job and there's a part that asks like you know how does this person deal with authority right is he does he rebellious or does he submit to authority and it's pretty important for the society work because there is always authority over us and it's important for us to have authority over us so that we're accountable to something but we don't like authority um it's an issue for us for our lives like for me i've always been rebellious um even especially when i was young i was mostly rebellious kid i was a problem kid because and you look at some of the kids who's caused a lot of problems at school has issues they're rebellious they don't like authority Okay, whatever has happened in their childhood, whatever, how they are shaped, how they're formed, they don't like, you know, authority. And I have always been a rebellious kid, and I have been always rebellious, and that trait still is with me, but has been subdued greatly when I came and God captured my heart when I realized that Jesus, God is my Lord. And I realized how to submit to authority. And from that point on, I realized how to submit to authority of people as well, those who God has placed above me. So, lordship is acknowledging there is authority, and not just a simple authority, but total, total authority over me, right? Over us. And what's interesting is, we are all created beings, right? We are created people. So, just by the definition that we're created means we will never ever be without someone of authority. We're always going to be have someone with authority, and we will never ever be free. Because we're dependent. Just by being created being, we're dependent on people. We always have someone authority. So in in a way that Loki is right, right? When you watch Avengers, Loki says, You crave, you know, subjugation, right? You want someone to rule over you. And but he's not completely right in that. Um, but he's right. We as a human being, because we're created beings, as creatures we're under authority always. Um, and because of that, we also fight over authority and we rebel. So really the question for us is not so much of avoiding authority or rebellious, but not so much of trying to be free because we will never be free. The question is, who is the Lord? And what and whom, from what and whom we are free from, right? From whom we are free. Because we'll never be free, but what are we free from and what are we holding on as our Lord? 
So that's kind of the groundwork for today's text because we're going to dive into talking about, learn about Jesus' authority and how essential and critical that is in the gospel. And for us, you know, just triune God, God's authority over us is critical. Whether someone accepted or unaccepted or denied or recognized it or not recognized it, God, who has total authority and accepting that, is critical in our lives. So the question to ask as we go on and study today's text is, what is God's authority over me? How is God's authority over me, over us? Right? Uh, but it's not enough to stop at that. We recognize God's authority over us, that He's the Lord, but we also have to ask, how does God exercise His authority? How, what kind of Lord is He is also equally important for us to know. So, there's no argument on God's authority. We all agree that God is the Creator being and He has a total authority. He is the Lord. So, when we approach this, the question that we can ask for you know, approaching, approaching today's text is, how have I or how have we rebelled? How have we, re- have we rebelled? And another question is, what will God do when we rebel? Or what has God done about it? How does God exercise His authority? So today's text we pick up from last week and we move on to chapter 20. And we left Jesus teaching and preaching in the, synag- in the temple last week. Uh, and He's teaching in the temple. This is different from synagogues. We've seen Jesus teaching in the synagogues. Synagogues welcome traveling teachers, and they teach. Temple is different. It's like, um, it's like a, you know, Jesus has moved on from high school, local high school football stadium to the Super Bowl. This is the arena, and you don't just walk in and start teaching in temple. You don't, right? Only the priests teach in the temple. So, and this is after Jesus completely thrashed the courtyard in the temple, right? And he's done more than just flipping a couple of tables and upsetting some people. According to the Mark, Gospel according to Mark, Jesus went in, he stopped, he kept everyone, anyone from going through to do any kind of marketing stuff. So he held the courtyard in captivity, basically. He had his disciples hold out the captivity the whole day until the evening. Which means there was no afternoon sacrifices. I mean, he held the temple inactive. And what he it, what it, what it did there is he just announced, proclaimed that temple is no longer needed. Temple will be destructed. So he's done a lot more than just kind of flipping tables. He's done, created some mess. He's upset a lot of people. And then after that, he just strolls into the temple and starts teaching and preaching. So, you know, talking about authority, Jesus, Jesus is the man. He just walks in and teaches. So that's where we pick up and we're going to read uh, chapter 20, verse 1 through 19, but we're going to read in two different parts. We'll read from verse 1 to 8, and we'll pick up and read uh, from verse 9 to 18. Okay, verse 1, I read, and you can read the next verse. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple and telling the good news, the chief priests and the scribes came with the elders. <laughs> He answered them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. They discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? So they answered that they did not know where he came from. And Jesus said to them, 
Okay, you see here, Jesus is teaching and preaching in the temple, um, just strolling in and doing this, start doing that, and a question is asked. By whom? Who asked this question? Verse, verse 1 says, The chief priests and the scribes came with the elders. These three are the representative of Sanhedrin. These are the three groups that makes up the Sanhedrin, which is the most powerful group. This is the ruling party. Not only did one group come, all three of them came. This is like president and Democrats and you know Republicans all coming together. They don't usually get along, but they came together this time because this is important. So it's a serious matter they came and asked. So it's almost the question they asked of authority is an official question from the Sanhedrin. Like, what authority do you have that you can do this? You can teach this. So you can see Jesus has moved on from dealing with Pharisees. He's now dealing with someone who's a lot more powerful, stronger opponent, and the intensity is even greater. So this is more than rules and just tradition of arguing with, with Pharisees. He's more or less in the turf war. This is their playground. This is where they rule. This is where they occupy. And as you know, these like chief priests, um, all these guys, chief priests has been in the household of uh, Anna, in five generations, they've been ruling. These are the, you know, the descendants of Levi. They're the only one who gets to be priest. They're the only one who gets to teach. They're the ones with authority. This is their place, and this the authority is already in structure in this place. And Jesus comes in without any credentials. He's not a Levi descendant of Levi. He just walks in, no authority, right? So they ask a question. So the question is, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it? Who gave you this authority? It's a legit question, right? It's a legit question for them to ask. And these things they're referring to cleansing the temple and causing all these troubles and teaching and preaching. They ask this question and Jesus' answer is, well, let me ask you, let me answer your question with a question, right? I lost my place here. And so Jesus asks, answers question with a question. Is he trying to be tricky? Maybe. I like answering question with a question. But he does more than that. Because the question that he asks them is, well, what do you think of John the Baptist? His question, the answer to his question will answer the answer to their question. So whatever, however they think of John the Baptist will answer what they think of Jesus. But this is more complicated than that. And what the priests do, they come and discuss and they realize, well, we, we, got, we better come up with a good answer for this. But they're not really trying to find out the truth or real answer to it. They're trying to figure out what answer would have what kind of effect on people that are surrounded. So they're more worried about and concentrated on the effects of their answers. And they realize no good answer is going to put a positive effect on it. So they say, well, we don't know. But it's more like, we don't want to say it. And Jesus said, okay then, I'm not going to say anything either. But he does, he doesn't answer their question, but he does tell a story. Which answers them, their question, indirectly. And that's what we find out in the next story. The parable that Jesus reads. So, let's go ahead and read from verse 9 to 18. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. And listed to tenants, and went to another country for a long time. When the season came, he sent 
translated to the tenants in order that he might give him a share of the produce of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent away empty-handed. Next, he sent another slave, that one also they beat and insulted, and they sent away empty-handed. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? But he looked at them and said, What then does this text mean? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When the scribes and chief priests realized that he had told them this parable against them, they wanted to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. So you see what's going on here. Jesus tells them a parable. His parable answers them question. So, if you flip over your um, the sermon notes there, Hannah likes to do this, and I did this with Hannah. This is uh, connecting, you know, and if you have a pen or pencil, you can try to do this one. So, it's not too hard. I think you, you've been trained well through this text, you know, going through the Gospel of Luke, and you, you can figure this one out. Right? Which one's which? Um, the owner. Who's Jesus? Uh, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> which one's which? The owner is the owner is God, right? Okay. What about the vineyard? What about the vineyard? Israel. Israel. All right. Tenants. Prophets. Chief priests. No. Like. Prophets. <laughs> no, no, wait. Tenants is chief priest and co- company, right? Slaves, servants. Prophets. The son. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> what about the produce? Whatever they produce out of the vineyard. Let's hold off there. What is the inheritance? I think it's eternal life. What about the others? Blank. Blank. What do you think is... Well, so a couple of things I left blank is the produce and the others. What do you think is the produce that with that vineyard Israel is asked to produce? If you've been following the, the, you know, the Exodus and Joshua, you should know this. What is the produce that Israel has been asked to bear? <laughs> What is? Claim their land. Claim their land. They did that mm-hmm. long time ago. And what what have they been asked to do after that? Go out into the world. S- similar. Be yeah. faithful. Be faithful and be faithful and let that faithfulness be what? No. A light. No, light. Yes. And? Okay. Josh will go through this next. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> 
they, they've been asked to be light of the world, show the grace of God, who God yes. is, the Lordship of God, to their neighboring nations, right? <laughs> to invite them to the, the Lord who is Yahweh, right? But instead, they haven't done that. They actually did the opposite, blocking people out, setting up the rules, making it hard for them to come. They haven't been bearing fruits. And it's on through the end of Old Testament, through the prophets, and Jesus judges, you have been bearing no fruits, and you'll be cut down and you'll be burned. So that's the produce. What about the, the others? Who are the others that G, G, God is, Jesus is saying that God will hand it over the vineyard to others? Who are the others? Oh, the world. Gentiles. Us. Us, Gentiles. At Jesus' time, at the time of Luke, who are they? Pagans. No, not pagans. <laughs> but... Gentiles. Who's the new leadership? Not necessarily in Israel, but new leadership that is representing the God's... Oh, uh, vineyard. Oh, uh, uh, Galilee. No. <laughs> Galilee. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you listen to the uh, parable. This is one of the easier parables to engage, especially at this point, because we've been through so many, and in in, in realizing who's who is actually pretty obvious. right? And you get the parable. And there are two types, two, two groups, right? There are tenants, and there's the landowner. What are the tenants like? They're terrible, right? They're terrible. They occupy the land. They don't know, they don't produce anything as far as we know because we're referring back to Israel, the leaders, the temple leaders are the tenants, right? The, the chief priests and the company. And, and they kill the slaves, the servants that have been sent by the, the owner. And they do worse. Every servant gets worse. You see the tenants first, the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Second one, they beat and insulted, added onto it. Third, they wounded and threw out. They cast him out even more insult. So you can see these are terrible malicious tenants. They think they actually are the owners. They assume that we're the owners. We can actually take this land, right? And you know, I mentioned in the newsletter about the tenants' law in San Francisco, um, and there are actually a lot of people that, especially, I mean, I know some people who abuse the law and actually occupy the place. For like five hundred dollars for twenty, you know, thirty, you know, twenty years, right? You can actually abuse and occupy the land, and you actually think like you, I can be the owner of this place, right? So the, these are terrible tenants; they're abusing it, but they're against this landowner who is powerful. My landowner, my you know, owner of this house, my landlord is an eighty-two years old lady, old lady. She's not powerful at all, right? <laughs> She's just a, a nice, sweet old lady. But that's not who we're talking about here. That's not who they're against. The landowners at this time in history in Palestine is powerful. They're powerful. They're socially, economically, you know, in, legally, they are powerful. And they can enforce if they want to. They actually have an army. Most landlords hold an army who can just come in and just wipe them out. These are powerful landowners. So, the abusing of the tenants, uh, how tenants abused his servants are insult to this person, to the landowner who is powerful. And, so, and he is expected, 
and he's honor bound to react, to respond harshly, right? To respond harshly to the matter. So the question we come to it is, what will the owner choose to do? What will he do with his anger? And you know, this is the climax of the parable. What's interesting about this parable, usually we follow and the climax is at the end. But the climax of this parable is in the middle. And that climax is verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? What will the owner do in this situation? What will he do with his anger and authority and power? That's the climax of the story. I will send my beloved son, perhaps they will respect him. And real, the translation is, better translation is really respect, but another author has written that better translation is, they will feel ashamed in his presence. Maybe I can change their minds, yet. It's crazy. They killed three of your servants. I mean, harsh, they treated your servants harshly. He's still thinking, by grace, I can change their mind. There's still love, and there's still patience. He's taking a risk. He's, he's loving them. He's, he cares for them still. And you know, this is God. right? This is God that we know. God who loves beyond measure and is compassionate, where He has every right to be severe. What will he do with his anger? God turns his anger into grace. And we've seen this over the story of stories we read in the book. God, who turns his anger with grace. With grace. And we've seen it in the story of the sons, the prodigal sons, and many other parables and stories. God turns his anger into grace. So how do these renters respond to grace? Verse 14 says, But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among, them, among themselves and said, This is heir, let, him, let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They're saying, we get rid of heir. What ha- who knows what happened to the landowner because he hasn't shown up. He sent his son. We stay here and there's a law. If you sit in a lot that the owner is uncertain for three years, you get a squatter's rights and you actually get to own the land. Say, hey, this, we can actually be the owners. So, you know what's going on in this parable? Jesus is expressing what's actually happening between the leaders of the temple and him. They're the tenants and the son. And for us, it's obvious to see. And Jesus offers in this parable, as God offers us, grace. Grace is always first offered. But with grace, there's also judgment that's offered. If you reject grace... You accept judgment. You accept one of the two. You can't accept neither. You accept grace or you reject grace. You accept judgment. And they are judged. We see that the temple is destroyed. The vineyard is given to others, to Christian leadership. And when Jesus says it, they say, heaven forbid. This is the greater, greatest reaction of crowd you witness in the New Testament. Said, heaven forbid, no way this can happen. And you realize that you learn from the Exodus and Joshua, this is their identity. Without being God's people, they have no identity. God says, I'm going to take that away from you. And this heaven forbids, no, you cannot. This is the greatest thing that we hold on to. Said, I will take that away from you. And they say, no way. And Jesus says, no, 
then how do you explain this verse that's been said in Psalm chapter 118, verse 22, and that's what Jesus quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has become cornerstone. So we're back to the topic of authority. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the center of all these things. I'm the one that fits into all this. By me, everything is judged and decided. I have the highest authority. And you know, when you look back, and when they must have looked back, maybe when they faced God, can you imagine the, what they might have felt like? Jesus would come, yeah, these are the guys who uh, asked if I had authority and what authority I have acted with. Jesus has the total authority and everything in life is decided, determined by who Jesus is and his authority. So this was spoken to the leaders of temple as a warning and it, as a vindication of Jesus and his followers that Luke is writing to um, in the gospel. But what about us? What does it say to us? Again, I mentioned two questions, right? Two questions we ask. Number one, who has the authority and how, how have you, how have we rebelled? You know, we talked about in Christian faith, we talked about how we have walked away we have, you know, wandered away. But I think that's, you know, just too soft. We haven't just walked away and wandered away. We rebelled, right? We rebelled. We protested God's authority. We renounced His Lordship. We acted like we're, we're the owners. That we're Lord over ourselves. And it's, it's treason. It's treachery. It's madness. It's stupidity. That's who we are. That's who we have been. We've been like the renters who thought they're the owners. So the question is, do you acknowledge the Lordship? Who is the Lord of your life? Do you surrender completely? And, you know, Esther sometimes shares with me that what I share from the, from the text, uh, from the Gospel, and it, it's too lofty. It's too high, too difficult. Um, and this is another difficult challenge for us. Is, the, is Jesus Lord of everything in your life? Of your possessions? You know, the practice of tithing is realizing that it doesn't belong to me. Everything. It's not just 10% that belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It's the practice of acknowledging the Lordship of my possession. Jesus' Lordship. And it's, a, it's practice of sharing. Because it doesn't belong to me, I share with others, right? Your dream and career. It's not like, okay, I can't do anything that I want to do because I'm supposed to do what God wants me to do. It's not that, but it's offering. Is what I do with my life, will it be an offering to God or will it be offering to myself? Right? And even furthermore, your rights. Do I have any rights? Who has the last words? Who has the authority? Or do you complain? Those who doesn't acknowledge the authority of God complains a lot. Lots of complaints. And you know what? I was in that place um, before God captured my eye. I was really displeased and I had so much complaint to God. And I complained to God all the time. And as I'm engaging with God, you know, as, as it always been, a song, I heard a song and it completely changed my understanding and I gave up. And that song is called Surrender. And the words, the first verse of that uh, song was like this. I'm giving you my heart, 
all that is within. You lay it all down for the sake of you, my king. I'm giving you my dreams, laying down my rights, giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And it completely changed my perspective. I realized I don't have any rights. There's no pride when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus. He has the complete authority. He's the Lord. But we can't stop there. Because what's equally important is for us to know how does God exercise His authority? What kind of Lord is He? And that's what we find out in this text is, and we've seen throughout the Gospel, He's the most powerful yet most gracious. His authority, His powerful authority is in saving and healing and being patient and gracious. So God makes it really easy. How can we not give up our rights and pride and everything to God who is most gracious and patient and loving and kind, who is trustworthy and yet most powerful? You know, the question is, you've been rebellious. We have been rebellious. What will God do? The question is answered here. God is gracious. Again and again. Because that's the kind of God is. And He still calls us to surrender. Let me close with this. The last question we want to ask ourselves is, how are you proclaiming Jesus' Lordship to others? Because our faith isn't private, our faith is public. What, symbol, what symbolic actions will be appropriate in our world to make the point that Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth and in our lives? And you know, not only Jesus' Lordship, but the way He exercises Lordship with the amazing grace. How are we sharing and letting it know to others? His amazing grace. The scandalous grace. And we'll be reminded again and again as we always do on Sunday, the grace that makes no sense as we come to the Lord's table. We just surrender. And you can surrender by knowing that God is gracious, kind, and trustworthy. Let me pray. Jesus, we recognize it's our struggle to hold on to our rights and pride, to be the Lord of ourselves. I pray that you'll help us to surrender. And help us to know that there is a better life, there is a new life, there is even greater hope and joy in surrendering because of who you are. But it's hard, so we pray that you will help us. Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. 